1: Buddy, and welcome to another edition of the Dice Trade Cast, brought to you by Rotoviz Radio and our friends of the FFPC. My name is Nathan Powell, reporting live from Burke, Virginia, Northern Virginia. Uh, no longer a Floridian, uh, freshly minted Virginian. Joined by a Minnesotan, my Minnesota slash Canada accent. Dan Senio.
2: How's how's Minnesota? Is it hot up there? It's it's quite warm. That was quite the O you threw in Minnesota. That was that was straight out of a Fargo movie, I think. No, it's been uh, it's been rather warm over this direction, and uh, we had a couple nasty storms today. It for some reason got really nice and sunny out, but that's uh that's just a little snippet into my world you had the lovely task of driving nine years up the East coast, to go from Florida to Virginia. So why don't you tell the folks how fun that was? Uh, it was not,
1: it was not fun. It was a
2: task that needed to be done,
1: but uh, it is probably not something we'll ever do again. We will be stopping from now on, <laughs> but you know, it is what it is. We're here and uh, we're happy to be here. And also, as Eric pointed out to me a couple months ago when he when he guest-hosted uh, uh, the Virginia Wi-Fi, you're going to be hearing me faster than ever because I have Fios
2: out the wazoo. Wow, look at this guy stepping up to stepping up to fiber or something. Unbelievable. All righty. With my fiber
1: intact and not the one that makes you poop, I'm going <laughs> to let you guys know his Patreon is back for a second season, and it's better than ever. And patronships start at just $6 per month. We now offer exclusive access to RotoViz Radio Slack. You know, Dan and I are in there, lots of other cool folks in there. Uh, you can ask us questions and gain league winning advice from many of the podcast and writing team. The Patreons also get first dibs on listener league spots, leagues starting soon. And in the $9 tier, you get some sweet RotoViz merch at the end of the season. Become a RotoViz Radio patron to, do, to join an exclusive community of listeners, access premium content, and do your part in helping the network to grow and continue producing high quality industry leading programs. Patreon.com slash Rotoviz.
2: Well, you mentioned a lot of exclusive content there, Nathan. And and while we're on the topic of exclusives, as a loyal listener to this lovely podcast and all of your other Rotoviz radio podcasts, you can get 10% off of Rhodoviz NFL Pass right now. It's available through the NFL podcast homepage at Rhodoviz.com forward slash podcast. Get ready for all the fun stuff. Your your season's about to get going, your your drafts are happening. You need this content. So Make sure you hop in. Again, that's rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Get yourself a 10% discount on that lovely NFL pass. And Nathan did happen to mention the Patreon uh, yeah. to go along with the Slack channel. We definitely are in there. We also got a, got a Dynasty-specific one going. So in case anyone was you know a little bit leery about hopping in because they weren't sure if there was any Dynasty talk going on, we have a Dynasty-specific chat. So make sure you get in and and hop into those because we try to stop in and and check in on everybody as as often as we can there's quite a few of us in there so definitely get your money's worth there
1: all righty let's hop into the show we're gonna do some news and notes followed by training camp battle previews so starting off the news and notes the really only big news we have going on right now is the holdouts of ezekiel elliott and melvin gordon and obviously we're gonna talk about About both, but I'm gonna say one thing that I think differentiates the two and how their holdouts will be different. I think that Ezekiel Elliott is gonna end up having to report because he he does have the looming character problems over his head that he like he's less like earned a long term deal than Melvin Gordon because you do have the concerns long term of you know the the off the field concerns and with Melvin Gordon you haven't any, any anything of that sort haven't had any major injuries really so. I think that if one of these two players is going to hold out their way into getting a long-term extension, I do think it's Melvin Gordon because of the lack of the concerns off the field slash injury. But I I do think that both will end up be playing week one. What are your thoughts on that?
2: I agree. And and I think you're right on You know, with the Cowboys most likely going to hold Zeke's past over his head in in those contract negotiations. But at the same time, yeah, these guys still have to get paid. Obviously, the NFL is – becoming a little more privy to the replacement level that is the running back position. So I, I, I don't know. I feel like both will be there, and a lot of people are comparing it to Le'Veon Bell. And I just, while, yes, they're running backs and they obviously are wanting bigger contracts, I feel like Le'Veon had some other outlying circumstances that he just kind of wanted to have a year to himself last year. Obviously, he didn't want to come back, pay for it, play for a discount, get hurt, and all of those things but it became pretty clear through social media avenues and different reportings and everything like that, that Le'Veon was just kind of didn't really want to play football last year. So I don't think I see those types of things with Zeke and with Gordon. Obviously they both have proven that they're two of the best backs in the game. So they should be getting paid. And as far as a dynasty outlook for these two, I really don't think it changes anything. It's possible, I guess that they could miss the first couple of weeks but I really don't see that happening. I think both teams will get something done, uh, or maybe they, the Cowboys just forced Zeke to report, basically, and, and he plays that way. Gordon, I think, will we'll get his money, and uh, he'll be there week one for sure. So I, I don't see any, any long-term issues here. Uh, obviously, they're running backs, so their shelf life is a little bit hindered to begin with. But if people are panicking and selling off, now is actually a really good time to get into a, an elite back in case you have a, an owner in your league that's really worried about it for some reason.
1: Yeah, and the one thing with Melvin Gordon is that Philip Rivers is getting towards the end of his career, so I doubt they're looking to upset slash hurt the possible you know Super Bowl chances of Rivers in his last couple of years. So you know you can debate the value of the running back position in Melvin Gordon to the Chargers, but I can guarantee you, if you ask Philip Rivers, do you want Melvin Gordon on your team or do you want him staying home? He's going to say,
2: I want Melvin Gordon on my team. <laughs> Definitely, definitely, and I think maybe the one thing that holds the Cowboys back is I don't know how their their cap situation looks, but is it potentially an issue where they might have to pick between Dak or Zeke in the coming time? You know, if the money's not there, they're gonna have to pick one of them.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure they still have another, I mean, they signed most of the O-line long-term deals, even though some of them have ended up getting hurt. But I think Jalen Smith, is he, is he a guy who's going to be getting a long-term deal soon as well? Um, there, there's a few, you know, good young players on that team that aren't just Zeke that, I mean, I've seen people say that they might just let Zeke walk, which obviously, you know, we're a little bit far away from that. But it's it'll be interesting to see how that, how that plays out with him. I do think that, This doesn't turn into a Bell thing, but if it does start turning into a Bell thing, I think then's the time to to buy.
2: Yeah, I still think there's a small window right now. Just even if it's a small discount to get an Elite back, it's a good time. But yeah, definitely once if they start missing games and people really start panicking, you'd be able to get some nice discounts then. So
1: let's say in the scenario that they do end up missing some time. Who is the beneficiary in Dallas?
2: Well, I think the passing game probably is because it's almost going to force their hand to play the air ball a little bit more rather than ground and pound. So I think your biggest beneficiary is probably Amari Cooper. From a volume standpoint, it could be Dak, which, you know, it'd be nice to see him get some real volume in the passing game. Obviously, he's he's done fine in that department, but getting getting real volume there could push him up the ranks into that mid QB1 tier if he's getting the volume.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I like Michael Gat- Gallup as is right now but I do think that if that offense does become top 12 top 15 uh pass heavy offense I think that that definitely you know lends to a a successful season uh in year two for Gallup I I do think that some people will try and push uh Justin Jackson on the Chargers being a thing and granted I did end up picking him in like the 18th round of SFB as that news came out but I think more likely than not, it ends up being, I mean, Philip Rivers has always had a pass-heavy team, even with Melvin Gordon at the helm. but it ends up being even more pass-heavy and Austin Eckler being the featured back. Um, are you a Justin Jackson believer in him being like a possible
2: workhorse, or do you think they end up just using Eckler in the passing game? Well, I've got to tell you, I don't think it's Eckler. Uh, I think they split that backfield right down the middle. They give most of the ground game work to Justin Jackson because he's clearly better at that than Austin Eckler is, but Austin Eckler is a vastly superior wide receiver so i feel like they use him as the pass catcher and they use justin jackson as just the two down guy and and you get a true committee all righty let's move on to our next topic and it's
1: going to be i feel like there's at least one or two of these every offseason and it's the Player X gained weight. <laughs> Ronald Jones gained 13 pounds. He's now looking in that 220 range, I believe. He he was definitely more of a scat back type coming out of college. He's gained some weight, and there's you know some people saying, "Oh, he got fat. He doesn't care about football." And then of course, there's the picture of him on Instagram being shredded. What do you look at? You know, his weight gained. Do you are you concerned about it? Do you think it's promising? Maybe it's between the tackles. What do you think?
2: No, obviously, it helps. You know we especially the way he plays, you need the size to be a little bit more. I, I don't know. It, it's it's kind of always been the the archetype for for running backs to be like five, ten, five, eleven, like two, twenty five. that's I feel like that's just all the, always a prototypical guy, and now he kind of fits the mold a little bit better. We didn't get to see him last year, whether it was Dork Cutter being completely useless as a as a coach. Or if it was Jones not picking up the offense, Jones being hurt, you know, there's there's all sorts of different things, and we really haven't gotten any clarity on on all of that outside of, I mean, the previous head coach was a garbage can, so that definitely didn't help. But I feel like we get to see him do some some real things in in Tampa now. Uh, obviously, people are going to be continuing to ride the Peyton Barber bus and people think that bruce anderson is going to be a thing but i really believe that ronald jones has a true breakout season maybe not like in a crazy numbers wise but for a guy that people have completely given up on i i see a promising season coming through and i think the weight gain definitely helps I, i feel like that helps keep him on the on the field if the issues were were injury related last year that protects your body a little bit more and obviously uh, with that muscle gain, people want to talk about more hamstring injuries and soft tissue stuff. But I feel like it's going to help him more than it's going to hinder him.
1: Yeah, for, for me, obviously as a Bucks fan, I saw a lot of Ronald Jones last year, and I think that's kind of clouding. Like at the beginning of the offseason, normally the Ronald Jones archetype—a guy who was drafted high, who you know had a poor rookie season—that's normally a guy I'm jumping all over. I haven't been. That way quite as much this offseason And that's because I didn't Really see any promise in Year one it was absolutely Awful and that might end up Coming back to bite me that I'm just looking Too much into what he did in his rookie season But he didn't look like a successful NFL player Or anything like any flashes of That in year one now certainly that, that Could change with the head coaching change the gain, the Weight gain and we might, he might just be Getting better acclimated to the NFL I, I do think that His you know, he does have have a nice ceiling for his price, but I, I do think that his floor is just out of the NFL in 12 months.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's possible, but you also have to kind of look at some of the context from last year with a the coaching being bad, the revolving door at quarterback and the offense just not really being all that great. At least last year. I feel like they make leaps this year into one of the actual top NFL offenses. I think they're still being a little bit underrated, even though everyone's trying to get on the Jameis bandwagon now. Mike Evans is gonna have three hundred catches this season. Chris Godwin's gonna have four hundred catches this season. I don't know if you've heard all of this, but everyone's everyone's saying it on the Twitters. I, I just feel like the the offense as a whole is so much better that it helps everyone involved and maybe maybe we didn't get to see anything promising from Ronald Jones last year but i just i had very very little faith in that in that coaching staff and in that offense especially with the constant quarterback changing from Fitzpatrick to Jameis and Jameis back to Fitzpatrick it just every everything seemed too dysfunctional and i just i'm hoping i guess speculating that everything's going to be much different and it's obviously it's obviously possible that he's just not good but i feel like the college tape and what he was able to do is is enough for me? I I feel like we could still get seventy five percent of what Jamal Charles was. That's the kind of guy I I get the feeling of.
1: That would be that would, would not be bad. That would certainly be a win for Ronald Jones. And, and I will say that it, the, part of his ceiling is the fact that he's in a really good offense. So even if like he doesn't end up being like a top NFL back or seventy five percent of Jamal Charles he's going to get the opportunity in a very good offense to get carries and get and get receptions out of the backfield. So there's not much risk involved in this price. So I guess one we'll, we'll of the Ronald Jones talk on uh, here. Let's pretend that you know where all your 2020 picks are. What 2020 pick number would you trade for Jones right now?
2: Uh, anything 201 and later.
1: Yeah, I, I was going to say like 203. I think the 201 might be creeping up into – just guys who are going to be better running backs uh, and have a, you know, a much higher floor than what Ronald Jones does at this point. But, you know, obviously at the, at the 203, 205 range, Ronald Jones has a higher ceiling than those picks at this stage
2: with the offensive. Yeah. You season. get a little insulation, a little bit of insurance there by, by kind of taking that edge off and, and not having to be such a high end pick. I just, I feel like the, the way to get him now, especially with so much of the hype and everything is, is to just, to just go for it. Yeah. It's nice to get a deal on a player, but sometimes you just kind of have to pay. And, and that's not a huge difference to go from 201 to 203. It's just enough where someone may actually be willing to, to go for it. Though.
1: Yeah. I mean, and there's not, there's not outside of like, unless there's like the worst possible team, in the league having a pick. Uh, I mean, obviously every, every league has that, but I'm saying like, it's very hard to tell the difference between the 201 and 203 in July.
2: Right. Especially now a year year <laughs> a year before we know anything about that class. So yeah, I, I, I feel like that's definitely the sweet spot is that early, mid-second. All right, let's move on to our next one. And this
1: one has kind of been – the news has risen up, and then it's cooled down a little bit. It's Darius Geis obviously missed his entire rookie season with an ACL injury, and then now he is starting off his second season with a possible – or with a hamstring injury. Much of Twitter said, oh, he's going to miss the beginning of training camp. He's overcompensating for the ACL, and now he's you know just going to be an injury-prone young running back. But Darius Geis, who obviously – this might just be more – digging into things more than it needs to be. But as we get to, you know, more and more players on social media, kind of the more access we understand they're getting. Like, Darius Geis logs into Twitter and says, Darius Geis is dead. He's like, nope, I'm not dead. My hamstring's fine. Like, I'll be okay. (laughs) And so basically, Darius Geis uh, said that Twitter overreacted to his hamstring injury. Uh, Do you agree with Darius Geis?
2: I mean, I think you have to to a certain extent because, as much as we want to be like, oh, he's on the injury report and, and all of that, I mean, we, we're not in there. We don't know what's actually happening, what he's actually doing. Sure, there's videos here and there and there's news snippets here and there, but he's, it, it's the, the, I feel like the ACL hamstring thing or the post ACL hamstring thing is a little bit more normal than a lot of people want to realize. And now they're just looking for any reason to call him a bus to, you know, injury prone, all of these things. And I mean, he had a significant knee injury coming back from that is always difficult. I mean, we're not looking at Adrian Peterson here. I mean, that guy's just an absolute lunatic and that's just, that's not the way everybody heals. And as, as great as all of the surgeries and everything new that they can do with everything, that doesn't mean that the body doesn't still have to heal. No one's Superman out there. So uh, it takes time, and and with time, he'll probably gain confidence and, and everything will kind of turn around. So I'm not as worried as a lot of people are. Obviously, it's not a great sign that he gets another injury. But, again, it's probably a little more common than, than we're making it out to be.
1: Well, if there's a case of him missing time at all, are you jumping on the Adrian Peterson bandwagon or the Chris Thompson
2: bandwagon? Uh, that's a good question. I think it might end up being the Bryce Love bandwagon.
1: Ooh, is he going to play this year? I
2: don't no, think I, so. I, don't, think, I, don't, think I don't think so. But if Geis happens to go down for a longer period of time, that team's bad enough where they'll probably be like, you know what, Adrian, we're going to trade you and we're going to let these kids kind of run. I, I still, uh, Chris Thompson, if, if that were the case and they move on from AP or whatever it is, I think Chris Thompson gets a lot of like the Lions' share of it but I feel like they kind of phase Bryce Love into it if they become truly worried about guys, Because Love, yeah, could, yeah. Love could be the guy in the future. If he can, if he can bounce back and, and start to look like the guy he looked like in 2017, I feel like they could make that transition a lot easier and not have a ton of sunken cost.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm a big Bryce Love guy. I own him in a lot of Debbie leagues, but I, I do think that 2019 is a lost year and that you're looking more at 2020 for him. But I think that if you look at, let's say Guys has a healthy sophomore season, you're looking at Bryce Love and Darius Geis is one of the better one-two tandems entering year three for Geis, year two for Love
2: and then you're probably looking at Chris Thompson looking for a trade like Duke Johnson's looking for a trade and the other pass catchers.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm not even sure what his contract is he, it might be up by the, at that by that point.
2: Yeah.
3: The Gap Factory Labor Day sale is happening now. Hurry in for the best deals of the season. 40 to 75% off everything plus doorbusters August 30th through September 2nd only. Tees from 4.99, logo styles from 16.99 and jeans from 19.99. Shop in store today at Gap Factory or at gapfactory.com. The Gap Factory Labor Day sale is happening now. Hurry in for the best deals of the season, 40 to 75% off everything, plus doorbusters August 30th through September 2nd only. Tees from $4.99, logo styles from $16.99, and jeans from $19.99. Shop in-store today at Gap Factory or at GapFactory.com.
1: All right, let's move on to Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay says he's healthy. I do think we've talked about this before, how when it comes to pretty much running backs by wide receivers, you're much more worried about the lower body, the the legs, the the knees. And of course, Phil Blinsey had a wrist injury. So not quite as big of a concern, but what do you, what do you make of the Phil Blinsey's healthy news?
2: Well, I mean, the last guy that had a big hand slash wrist injury that people went off the deep end about, and that was David Johnson. Mm-hmm. People literally lost their minds and sold him for pennies on the dollar. <laughs> And I feel like people have been buying Philip Lindsay for relatively cheap this season. Now I don't think we see the same type of production output that we were seeing. Obviously, the ability is all still there. I just feel like Denver is is going to go full committee backfield. They use Freeman the way Freeman should be used. They they use Lindsay to kind of slash and dash the defense a little bit more pass catching because now that offense is starting to kind of come into its own a little bit we'll see if drew Locke ends up becoming the guy if it's just joe flacco for this season i do like lindsey i think he's a good player i i just i don't feel like he's he's a true rb1 in any offense i feel like he works really well as a change of pace guy and like a playmaker type and i mean that's what we saw last year obviously he did very well with the lion's share of the of the work but you know, that can take a toll on the body, especially for somebody that's what, like five, six, and 175 pounds or something like that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like we just have an, a relatively obvious committee there. Yeah, with
1: Lindsey, he's kind of had a bit of a roller coaster of value in the last six, seven months. I feel like he was, you know, trending towards being overvalued right before he had the injury at the end of the season. And then he's kind of been either correctly valued or slightly undervalued for most of this offseason. But I do think that once he starts to produce, once he shows that he's healthy, once he gets, you know, probably the RB1 carries to start the season, that's when he will kind of rock it back up to being overvalued, where people will say, Oh, well, Phil Bunsey's so much better than Royce Freeman, so forget Royce Freeman. And, you know, obviously years down the road, we couldn't end up proving ourselves wrong. Like, why, why did we even care about Royce Freeman? But I I I do think that for now, he's a legitimate threat to Lindsay and his long-term outlook. So I, I do think that He's undervalued right now, but he's going to have a sell opportunity very soon.
2: Right. Yeah. I just, the obvious thunder and lightning comparisons and, you know, the cliches just, it, it seems too obvious for it to not be the case. I was a little bit of leery of Royce Freeman coming out, but he went to a pretty promising spot with some decent draft capital early third pick is, I mean, that's, that's relevant draft capital. So uh, obviously Philip Lindsay didn't have that draft capital and we actually got to see him on the field last year doing, the right things. We didn't get to see as much of that from Royce Freeman. Now Royce Freeman didn't, didn't have an absolute polished turd of a season, but we, we didn't get to see enough. I don't think so. Hopefully they kind of, they kind of take the, take the training wheels off and they kind of let him do his own thing this year. And, and we'll see.
1: All right, let's move on to our last news and notes. You tell me that you saw some Twitter sphere, uh Emmanuel Sanders videos.
2: Yeah, there was a, a little practice clip of him doing some footwork drills, running like a, a really quick out route or something like that. And he looked super explosive, did not look like he was coming off of an Achilles uh, or whatever. He had an Achilles, right? Yes. Yeah, it definitely didn't look like, he, like he's coming off an Achilles. He looked explosive. His feet looked good, posture, body looked good. Everything looked Everything looked right. So Manuel Sanders could be one of those guys, you know, who just keeps sliding down the boards because, oh, no one comes back from an Achilles. No one comes back from an Achilles. And gotta be honest, he looked good. And he's already been just ultra productive in his career as it is. And with no true number one in that offense, obviously we want Cortland Sutton to be that guy. And we think Deshaun Hamilton might be able to to play some ball. Emmanuel Sanders is pretty clearly the best wide receiver, even if he's only ninety percent. Maybe he doesn't get all of his speed back, maybe he doesn't get all of his burst back. But man, he he looked good in that one little snippet, and obviously, only time will tell. We'll see. We'll see what their plan is with him. But I, I feel like he's just getting to be damn near free, and with his with his production history, he definitely shouldn't be.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, from a dynasty perspective, I'm fine throwing a third round pick at him. I'm not sure I'm investing a second round pick on a guy that doesn't really have any sort of guarantee for short or long term production. I will say that if if he does come back to like ninety. Ish percent. I think that he could easily become a possible trade target for the Broncos, a guy that they might try and flip as they try and, you know, uh, go from a Flacco to a lock. And obviously the fact that they went for Flacco thinks that they have a shot at winning, but I think they will realize pretty quickly they have no shot at winning the West against the Chiefs. They have no shot at, you know, really anything in the AFC. So I think that they become sellers as much as there is like sellers in the NFL. The Broncos could be sellers at the deadline. So maybe Sanders is one of those guys that, that they sell, but yeah, I'm in purely like I'll believe it when I see it mode with him, but I think that it's fine to pay a third right now. If, if you're looking to get that short-term production and you think you're going to get it from Sanders,
2: man, I think I'm still giving up that second for Sanders, maybe late second. I, I don't know that I'm diving anywhere, anywhere up above that two Oh seven range. I think that's probably the absolute peak and I'd probably want something coming back with him, but there's so much upside there with, again, you know, there, there's not a ton of targets to go around in that offense. I don't think, compared, you know, based on what we've seen in the past, you know, he only had like a hundred targets last year in 12 games. So, and he only played 12 games the previous season too. So maybe, maybe we're looking at a 12 game season for Emmanuel Sanders. If he misses some time, because it seems to be the clear trend, a uh, hundred targets over that span is pretty solid. I just, yeah, it, it seems almost too good to be true at his at what he's literally, he's everyone's trying to get rid of him from what I've seen.
1: All righty. You know what you don't want to get rid of? The FFPC. Hi, Rotovis fans. Allow me a brief second to tell you about our good friends, the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. It's been 10 years since the FFPC filled their first dynasty league, and now they've grown to the world's largest dynasty league commissioner. The leagues as high as $5,000 to enter. FFPC leagues are active and competitive and not a single league has ever folded. Brand new st- Dynasty Startup Leagues are forming right now, starting at $77 and up in standard, Superflex, and best ball formats. And for those of you ready for the greatest challenge, take a look at this year's FFPC main event. What is the main event exactly? It's the world's biggest event in season-long fantasy football, and it's coming with you a half-million-dollar Grand prize, $500,000, and over $3.1 in total prizes. Come to Las Vegas for a three-day weekend of live drafts and festivities at Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino, or draft online from the comfort of your home in your boxers. Find out more about the main event deadline coming up in just a few days on Monday, July 22nd. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stake fantasy world. That was beautiful. Very,
2: very well done. Yeah, but uh,
1: but, but just to clarify in the ad, um, drafting in your boxers is the optimal way to draft.
2: (laughs) I'm just glad you cleared up that a half a million dollars is 500,000. So I I was I wasn't sure what that was until you cleared it up. So Thank you for that. Uh, (laughs) All right. So second segment of today's show, we're going to talk a little bit, uh, a little bit about the training camp battles. We always have them every year. It's fun to talk about. It's fun to speculate. It's fun to. Think about what could be. So one that started this offseason relatively early, uh, the Miami Dolphins went out and got Ryan Fitzpatrick. And then, not too long after, they went out and got Mr. Josh Rosen off of the Cardinals for, I mean, just a steal of a trade. So first camp battle, Josh Rosen, Ryan Fitzpatrick, how do we feel like this shakes out early, and do you think there's any long-term ramifications for Rosen as far as confidence goes if he doesn't beat out Fitzpatrick for the, the start of the season? Do you think that that kind of hurts him mentally?
1: I, I think that there are similarities in this camp battle as there were with not necessarily a camp battle, but the, the back and forth between Winston and Fitzpatrick last year and I think that the Dolphins and and their new you know basically Patriots revised coaching staff will decide that they can't start Rosen and then bench him for Fitzpatrick so what they can do is they can start Fitzpatrick and then when Fitzpatrick does what he does and has a few three touchdown games and then has the inevitable four interception games then they then they can go into Rosen when Fitzpatrick struggles I I think that if you start with Rosen and we one and go to Fitzpatrick in week four, you're basically saying, okay, that second round pick we get frozen, it's over. He, he you know, all we have to do is maybe salvage it by making a trade next offseason. And the dolphins are one of the teams being mocked as like, you know, having a top three pick next year. And this is one of the quarterback battles. It, it's important for redrafting. Uh, I saw many people stacking Rosen and Fitzpatrick and SFB, but in, ter- in terms of dynasty, if the mock drafts are all correct, whether it be Vegas or just you know people pro- prognosticating, you know the Dolphins are going to draft another quarterback next year.
2: If They end up with one of those high picks. I, I think they almost have to. Got to go. Got to go for the value there. Yeah, this one's this one's weird because I, I feel like the goal for this season was was to bring to bring in Fitzpatrick to start a, more most of the season. And I think they were maybe hoping on getting a deal done to get Kyler or to get Haskins or if they liked one of the other guys or to land someone like Josh Rosen, who they maybe still see as kind of a rookie, uh, a younger guy, obviously, that they can maybe kind of mold, do, do their own things with, and give him the back half of the season. But I feel like the way, the way it went with, with Arizona and the transition – that if he doesn't win the battle, I don't know that he plays just because he seems like one of those kind of guys that would just be completely destroyed if he's not beating out 72 year old Ryan Fitzpatrick's beard. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that it'd be a bit early to write him off it just cause he, he loses the camp battle. And I mean, I, it seems through all the blurbs that the, the dolphins are pretty set on Fitzpatrick being the week one starter. Granted it's early training camp hasn't even started yet, but I think that's kind of where we're at as far as, you know, possibly an early Fitzpatrick start going into a Rosen finish. And then obviously Ro- Rosen has to get some time because if they're be- if they're truly terrible, they have to decide is Rosen our quarterback or is the third overall pick our quarterback. And then that's something that's important for the future of their franchise.
2: Well, if they plan on starting Fitz for most of the season, they're definitely going to have a top three pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's that. So, I mean, in a, in a super flex format, what – what are you giving up to go get Rosen? Are you trying to get Rosen, or is he someone that you're just kind of fading right now until we know more?
1: I've f- flirted with some Rosen owners in Superflex, but I, I haven't really gotten any bites. Uh, you know, I've been offering early to mid first type value for him and no one's like basically everyone is saying, no, I want an early first in a late first type value rather than just taking the early first. And I do think that Rosen has shown enough of a floor that two first, especially one being early is a bit too high of an investment.
2: So is the play maybe as a contender to pivot off of Rosen and go for Fitzpatrick for short-term value? If it's even if it's only four, six, eight games,
1: I mean, I don't think Fitzpatrick has any trade value. I don't think you could really even get a third. I mean, maybe a third in superflex, but I, I think that Fitzpatrick's a guy that well, he, he's good to have on your team, but he doesn't have dynasty nice value.
2: Yeah, right, right. Yeah, no, more of a winning value than a long-term asset value. I think, I think if Fitzpatrick does end up being the week one guy, I think we wait. If you're looking to sell him, you're waiting for one big game and say, yep, he's still got it, still the same old Fitz magic." Come send me a second for him, and you smash that all day. But if it ends up being Rosen, well, now you have a dead body on your roster and you probably just have to drop him because he's not going to have any value at all until he signs another ridiculously large contract with another bad franchise that thinks he can still play quarterback.
1: All right, let's go to our next team. And it is going to be Case Keenum versus Dwayne Haskins for the Washington backfield. I will say, obviously, this doesn't have any impact on the training camp battle. But Alex Smith got out of his brace today, so that's Ooh. good for you know him. I, I mean, I I don't think he ever plays football again. But obviously, getting out of a brace this soon after the injury is promising for him, even if it's you know just getting back as a backup quarterback. I think he's never going to have another starting job. I think that's pretty concrete. But, uh, you know, him being a backup wouldn't be a bad thing for him at the end of his career, you know, gaining some, some more paychecks. Uh, but anyways, going to the dynasty part of this, Case Keenum versus Dwayne Haskins. I, I think that there's l- very little incentive for the for Washington to uh, start Haskins early. Prior to, prior to the Haskins drafting, I think that they were one of the b- best candidates to be a tank for Tua or a, you know, a tank for Herbert type deal. Um, but then they ended up getting Haskins, and so then they... Look more towards building a more immediate future, but I do think the roster is bad enough that they shouldn't be in any rush to get him on the field.
2: I agree, and, and I mean that Haskins was a gift to them. There should have he should have been taken three times over before it even got had a chance to get there, but that's the nature of the beast. And I think Keenum's done enough to prove that he's at least an average NFL quarterback, if not slightly above. And you know that offense is going to be kind of gross. So maybe we're not going to see the mid-level NFL quarterback, of Case Keenan. Maybe we're going to see that low-end Case Keenan we saw with uh, those lovely Jeff Fisher offenses. So I, I agree with you. I don't think they have a ton of need to put Haskins out there early. I think it's smart to let him kind of watch a little and, and learn from the sideline until they throw him out there. But I feel like once that team's kind of down in the dumps after – eight, 10 weeks. I think they turn it over to him, assuming he he's mentally and physically ready to be out there. And I'm sure as a healthy quarterback, he's going to want to be out there day one. But uh, I, I think for his sake, it's best to give it half a season.
1: Yeah, and I, I do think that it's kind of similar to the the Flacco lock scenario where they traded for Keenum. They might as well not waste the you know the the veteran you know production that they traded for, and so that they, they can use him as the starter for the first few weeks. Have him take the licks instead of the young quarterback. So yeah, I mean, my my take on Keenum is that in Superflex, he's a guy that you know he can be your injury slash bye week fill-in for the first five or six weeks, but don't count on much after that time period. Uh, I will say we'll move on to another NFC East team, and I don't think this is a training camp battle. It's more of a it's more of a regular season question for a quarterback battle. Uh, what week does Daniel Jones start?
2: Uh, whenever, whatever week it is that Eli Manning's arm officially falls off because it's barely hanging on at this point. I honestly, I mean, they're going to be like, I would guess zero and eight. I have no, I have no no idea what their schedule looks like. That team is absolutely atrocious. It's going to be the Saquon party, and that's about it. I don't know. I, I'm sure there's going to be a point where Eli just fully gives up, right? He has to. <laughs> that team's going to be so bad, and he's just going to take an absolute beating back there. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't imagine. I can't imagine they get through eight games with Eli.
1: I'd say week week ten, week eleven is when Daniel Jones gets to start when they decide that fighting this Eli Manning battle isn't worth it. And I mean, they do have like it's not a bad offense for a young quarterback to go into. I mean, if if Dwayne Haskins was entering the, Gi- the Giants offense. We'd be talking about him as the locked in one hundred and two and superflex, you know, a possible like top ten, top twelve dynasty quarterback. And granted, he's still in that conversation somewhat now. But when you're talking about you know Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, and Saquon Barkley, that's not a bad young core to be to be building around.
2: They do, in fact, have a week eleven bye. So. I'm guessing we see Daniel Jones at the very latest, week 12. I am not sure that Eli lasts that long because he has been really bad for a while. Sorry, Dynasty Frank. I know you love your boy, but he's horrendous. And the problem is is they're not really upgrading. They're just they're Benjamin Buttoning Daniel Jones. Who, I mean, he's Eli. They're the same person, just not... Quite peak Eli, and I don't think he ever gets to peak Eli. I think Daniel Jones is exactly what Eli is now, and that is his foreseeable future.
1: All right, let's move on, on to our next one. And this one we've kind of hit on a lot, but we'll, we'll just review it a little bit. Uh, the Patriots backfield of Sonny Michelle, Damian Harris, and James White. I will say I drafted James White in SFB. He's going to get that 50 receiving yard bonus every single game, 100 yard bonus most games. Um, but I, I will say that he's he's gonna be the most consistent of this bunch. I think he's gonna get his his every game. And I think it'll be more of a switching off game with with Michelle and Harris. I do think that if one of those is going to be the you know the locked in RB one, I don't think that either of them will be, but I think that Michelle is the one that that profiles as the one who can get the workhorse carries. You know, he was the first round pick. He, you know, he did have some some big carry games in the playoffs as well. Uh, so I, I think that it ends up being, you know, a committee mess as far as fantasy and white ends up being the,
2: the best fantasy asset. I think he's definitely the most constant one. I don't know that he'll necessarily be the best, but the most constant, the most consistent. I mean, last year he had 120, some targets. So I don't feel like we see that James white, but the previous two years, he had 72 in 14 games and 86 in a full season. So I feel like 90s definitely in play and, and, Probably a pretty solid floor to go based off of. Obviously, I don't think we're seeing 123 target James White in 2019. It just, it, that seems kind of crazy, but anything's possible, I guess. Uh, I, I do agree that that White's going to be lovely in the SFB. Congrats on that pick. And then the Harris and Sonny Michelle thing, that's this is just going to kind of be messy. We're back to the Patriots of old, where they just they're just a headache you want everyone to produce you want everyone to do something and maybe that's the case maybe there's enough backfield touches and they just completely start to phase tom brady out (laughs) from having to even play quarterback and he's just handing it off 45 times a game i mean that's possible too i guess as he gets older they they take that portion of the game out of it and they limit him throwing it to 20 25 times because they know he can be efficient even even as his arm loses a little bit of its zip so I don't know. I feel like everyone's gonna put up okay numbers in his backfield, but it's basically a best ball asset backfield. I, I don't I don't think I can trust anybody consistently outside of James White assuming you're playing in PPR if you're not playing in PPR, then you can't even trust James White because then you have three almost evenly valued running backs who are gonna basically put up the same amount of yards each and one of them's gonna catch passes and two of them are gonna get touches. It's just it's gonna be a headache
1: righty, let's move on to our, another backfield and it's going to actually we're, we're finishing uh, with two Ravens topics. First, we'll start with the backfield and it's uh, Justice Hill versus Mark Ingram. I, I will say I don't think that this is a training camp battle. I think this is more of a regular season battle. I think the training camp battle ends in Mark Ingram having, you know, the majority of the workload for the first few weeks of the season. And I think that they try and work in Justice Hill more and more as the season goes on, get him more comfortable at the NFL level, you know, work on his pass blocking. Obviously, that's very important with a mobile quarterback and Lamar Jackson. So I I think that Ingram gets the lion's share, but it kind of decreases as the season goes on.
2: Yeah, I agree that it's a it's not a necessarily camp battle, but a regular season battle. And the battle is going to be Mark Ingram versus injury. He's only had three full seasons played in his nine-year career, which doesn't exactly bode well, especially coming off of an injury last year. So I don't know. I, I feel I feel like he's definitely in line for most of the early season touches while he'll kind of gets up to up to speed on everything. But Ingram's kind of always worked better as a one A or one B, anyways, where there's a decent timeshare split. I mean, we saw what those guys did when in Alvin Kamara's rookie year, he and he and Ingram absolutely killed it. So we could end up being in for one of those because we know this Ravens team is going to run the ball probably about the same amount that they pass it. So we could we could have legitimate volume here for both of these guys, and and both could end up putting. Legitimate numbers up. So I think it's just it, it'll take time for Hill to start to see some real volume But I think it's inevitable. I, I think whether it's it's them seeing something that they love or Ingram getting hurt We see we see Hill at some point this season And I think he produces quite well, too Because that offense he fits really nice there with all of the things that they're trying to do
1: all right, let's move on to their tight ends and That will be uh, the tight end group of Mark Andrews, Hayden Hurst, and Nick Boyle, who they signed to a contract extension this offseason. So Mark Andrews is the one that's obviously getting most of the fantasy hype, the guy who's being called, you know, potential breakout tight end, potential top eight tight end this year. How concerned are you with Boyle and or Hurst, or are you all aboard the Mark Andrews
2: train? I mean, I love Mark Andrews. I, I have loved him. I loved him when he was in college. I thought he was the tight end one in that class. It's just, you know, when, the, when they spent the the draft capital on, on Hayden Hurst and then the injuries kind of kept him away, I, I never thought he was going to be the guy. I thought that was an absolute wasted draft pick. But when you spend that, you've got to find out what you have in the guy. And, and I feel like they use him a lot more this year. And signing Boyle to – the contract they signed him to makes me believe that they plan on using him too. So unless they are intending to split Mark Andrews out wide, we may have some volume issues here. Even though last year they, they really, really spread the ball around. They had their top three receivers all had like a hundred targets. Crabtree, John Brown, Willie Sneed all had 95, 97 and a hundred. Mark Andrews only had 50 targets. Nick Boyle had 37 and Boyle played all 16 games, as, and so did Mark Andrews. Peyton Hurst played 12 games and saw 23 targets. So I feel like they've got to get him involved a little bit more. Maybe they did just draft him to be an extra lineman, and maybe they only brought Boyle back to be an extra lineman, and they are planning on splitting Mark Andrews out wide. But there's just too many bodies there for me to feel super comfortable about Andrews and the, how high up he's gone in a lot of these dynasty ranks and and valuations it just doesn't seem like a good bet to make uh as good as i do think he is just with lamar jackson being a limited passer and that offense seemingly be just deemed to run the ball i don't know and bringing in marquise brown the other miles boykin both of those guys who i think are actually really good they could draw quite a bit quite a few targets and then whatever veteran presence they have there if any I mean, we could, it could be a sloppy season for any Ravens pass catchers. It's, I, as again, I love Mark Andrews, but it seems to kind of be time to take the foot off the gas pedal here.
1: Yeah. For me, it's just there's suddenly too many mouths to feed for not enough volume. If they were a team that were, were going to be a top 10 to top 15, you know, passing volume team, then I think that Andrews could certainly be a, a breakout type tight end. But I, I do think that. They're going to get the ball to the wide receivers. They're going to run the ball, you know, more than anyone in the NFL. And so that kind of hurts the the breakout, hurts the weekly floor, certainly. Like, Andrews, he's going to have a couple two-touchdown games, a couple, like, six catches for 80 yards and a touchdown, those type of games. But for every one of those games, he's going to get, like, a two-catch for 24-yard game where he just isn't as featured in the offense.
2: Right, yeah. Again, kind of – kind of going to be more of a best ball type asset, a, a higher end best ball asset because he will have explosive games. But I just, I don't love the, like you said, the, the, so many mouths with such limited volume and, and maybe they turn around and they have Lamar Jackson throw it 500 times. I can't imagine that's going to be the case, but certainly possible.
1: All righty. That'll wrap us up for today. Thanks for listening to us. Talk some, some news and notes, some training camp and battles, and make sure to leave us a rating and a review. Tell us how awesome we are, how fast my internet is, all of these great <laughs> things. We love you guys for listening. We appreciate it. If you have any guest suggestions, throw them out there. You know, We love Russell and Ryan and those guys, but uh, that's really all we've had as far as guests in the last few months.
2: <laughs> and if you have any content ideas, if there's something you want to hear about, uh, obviously, no one really wants to hear either one of us talk about anything. But if you happen to tune in and you happen to uh, be missing out on something, or think there's something we could we could uh, toss our hats into the ring for, we're definitely up for it. We we're looking for new content ideas all the time. Usually, we just kind of go with what's hot, and what's trending at the time. And and we always said we weren't going to do news and notes, but now it gets to the point where when we run out of topics, it becomes news and notes. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. righty, right. That'll do it for this week. Make sure to tune in next week. We'll talk to you guys soon. Kadoosh.